Hello and welcome to Tokyo Inklings. My name is CY. You can find me on my website at tokyostationpens.com, on Instagram at tokyostationpens, and on Twitter at tokyostationmnh. And my name is Jacob, and I'm a Fudo fan on Twitter and on Instagram, and I have a blog at fudofan.com. And this is episode 37. Can you believe it? 37? That's crazy. It's actually the 39th, but yeah, the, the number is 37. Yeah, we, we have <laughs> we have two like special episodes, right? Yeah. All right, so um, as you know, Jacob, this is your favorite part of the podcast. Uh, we're going to read some reviews. Ready for reviews? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, all right. So first review we're going to read today comes from uh, Apple Podcast from the United States. Uh, so this one is from Shreyas. Uh, Pleasant and fun to listen to for any fountain pen user. A very fun and entertaining insight into the world of fountain pens, demystifying the topics of nib grinding, Japanese pens, inks, and more. The episodes regarding Nagahara-san's insights and thoughts on writing and philosophy of names were fascinating. I hope to see more. As a side note, I find the extreme silence when no one is talking to be almost too quiet, so much so that I don't know if my phone accidentally disconnected or the podcast is still playing. <laughs> this may just be personal, though. Uh, and then he puts a smiley face. Do we need some background music? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Or maybe I just have to uh, do a more uh, tight cut. Yeah, we should do that. We should do that. Yeah. So thank you very much, Shreyas, for your five-star review. Uh, the second one is from, again, the United States of America. Um, XX Readhead XX. Uh, five stars. So COI and Jacob, great people, great knowledge. I'm really enjoying listening to these podcast episodes on my way to work or even while I journal. I don't have many people close to me that are fountain pen enthusiasts, so this is a great way to interact with other people who love the hobby. Thank you very much, Reed Head. Thank you for that. Um, or, yeah, XX Reed Head XX. Hope that's how I actually am supposed to read that. Right. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, you know, we really appreciate that. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why we started the podcast, to really connect with other people and uh, and spread the knowledge of um, of the fountain pen scene in Japan. Yeah, for sure. All right. So, um, I was talking to you a few days ago, Jacob, and uh, we were mentioning, oh, you know, what are we going to talk about this episode? We didn't have a lot of things to talk about. Um, but in the end, I think we're going to have quite a full episode today somehow. Somehow, I think we're going to be able to talk for an hour. Um, but we always start with, you know, things that we've we've acquired right. since uh, within the, these two weeks. But I noticed that there's nothing written on your side. Do you have anything that you, you got in the last two weeks? No, I don't think so. What I did order... Um some more Chinese Naginata nibs. So last time we talked about these pen BBS, like Naginata-ish calligraphy nibs. And we talked about how there were other Chinese pen makers, including Hongdian and Kaigulu. They've also made them um, recently uh, released new Naginata style nibs. So I've ordered one of each and I thought I would have them by now, but they're still sitting in customs in Kanagawa. So maybe early next week. Yeah, I mean... I've noticed that there's a lot of like new Chinese. Mm. Um, they call them like calligraphy nibs, right? And we've we've noticed as well is that uh, these nibs they're not exactly shaped like naginatas. I mean, they they're very similar, right. but they're more flat, right, on, on the on the writing mm. surface. Whereas naginatas tend to be a bit more round. So I'm really interested because I've noticed that in Taiwan. Yeah. Um, They've got like all sorts of variations of uh, of the naginata nibs, and they they call each variation like a different thing, uh, which you know they they claim is suited for various different types mm. of Chinese script. So that's always really interesting. Really looking forward to uh, to what you think about these Hongdian nibs. Yeah, it will, will be interesting to see, and I think it's I'm I'm so excited about the fact that these Chinese pen makers are releasing all kinds of interesting new nibs and it, it's a good trend i'm all for it yeah uh in the meantime uh i'm working on a project um something that i've recently been doing is uh is making a bunch of stack nibs and i think stack nibs are pretty hard to sell um they're pretty hard to sell if you you know if you don't try them in person right because really expensive you know, not really common it's not like everybody's tried a stack nib before 
So what I, uh, what I've done is I've I've made like four or five stack nibs, put them in package, send them out somewhere. You know, send send them to uh, to some friends, some customers, right. and um, what I've asked them to do is you know try it out, have fun with it, enjoy it, and uh, and then once you're done, um, send it to the next person. Uh, and then if you want to buy one, you know, you can buy one before you send it out to the next person. Uh, no, that's pretty and clever. So, so like a, a, um, a stack neighbor road trip. It's like a caravan. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so um, so I did the first package, went out to the U- United States. Um, it's been at two destinations so far, and I've sold two nibs so far. <laughs> uh, so, so we'll see. I, I I sent four nibs out. There's only two nibs left. There's like another destination um, after that. So so we'll see. Um, we'll see what's what's happening with that. But I'm also putting a, a package together um, for the UK, um, and then I'm also considering a second package out to the US uh, or Canada. So uh, I'm busy putting that together. And as part of that, um, I need to get nibs. And one of my favorite places to get, uh, get you know, cheap, really basic uh, nibs is this hole in the, uh, you know, hole in the wall. I think we've talked about them before, but Marui Shoten. Yeah, I think that was in so, our very first episode when we talked about the very shops so. in Japan. We mentioned Marui Shoten. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're great. Um, they're great people. And so I call them and I say, hey, um, I want to buy six platinum course mm. nibs. And this was like three weeks ago. And they call me back. They're, they're like, two things. First thing is that Platinum are doing a price increase in Japan. It's not been announced yet, though. Uh, but they are going to do the price increase mm. um, in Japan. And second thing, there's a shortage of 3776s. And I didn't know there was a shortage of 3776s. So um, so it's quite interesting. Uh, took a, quite a while. Um for them to actually get to the store, but they finally did. Mm. Again, they didn't have all the uh, the colors or the sizes. I just I, I said, I'll take whatever I can get, sure. and uh, and and I showed them one of the stack nibs I was making with their with their nibs. Right. Seemed um, they seemed pretty uh, pretty intrigued, and they told me that actually uh, Nagahara San also goes there quite often. So I guess Nagahara San does his shopping at Marui as well. I'm surprised by that. Because, I mean, I'm not surprised that he would go to Marui when he's in Tokyo, but I didn't think he would be in Tokyo that often. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's like here very often, but, you know, once mm. every two or three months, I guess. By the way, going back to your point about cost, I mean, part of that is, of course, your your decision to only do gold nibs, right? I'm, I'm, I have two questions about that. My first question is, Given that a stacked nib is inherently quite like stiff because 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 it's stacked, uh, what is the advantage of gold nibs? And my second part of that question is, if you were to go with a steel nib, other than the new steel zoom nib we talked about in the last episode, are there any any steel nibs with enough tipping to do what you need to do? That's a very interesting question. There are, I think, a bunch of different angles to it. Um, let's start mm. with the first question uh, about the gold nib and the stiffness. Um, no, uh, the gold nib uh, really depends on what nib you're using, but you can make a soft stack okay. nib. And I have, in fact, made um, some soft stack nibs, some by accident, some on purpose. I guess the I don't know, trick mm. is really balancing... Um, the thickness of the tine because if the tine is too soft you can't really weld them together because uh, when you weld you you're, you have to take material right. and merge them together right so if it's too thin then there's not enough material to merge right uh, that's one thing that you got to balance um, but I have done a um, a 14k sorry uh, sorry Jacob vintage 14k large size sailor nib i removed the engravings and then i put uh <laughs> i put a double uh so two steps two layers on top so I had, uh king mm. eagle on that it's quite uh soft another one i did on a 21k modern 21k um king eagle uh where i um basically slimmed down the tines mm. just as you normally would and that actually writes a lot like a um a KOP nib, right. so very very soft. So you can um, have softness and 
have uh, have stacknib. I don't think those are mutually exclusive, but you do need to be careful with it. And the alloy does therefore matter mm. quite a bit. I see. Um, the second question about uh, the steel nibs is, you know, you you can you can stack uh, regular B nibs like from Yoo or whatever. Right. Like I'm not saying that that's impossible, but the technique would be different. So I think I mentioned previously, and I also had written a blog about it. But the hook, um, right? but there are yeah, exactly. So there are like three main ways that you can stack the nib together. The first is just a flat cut where you, you, you cut um, the tipping on bottom and top together and you put them together. I think that's like very, very straightforward. Um, that's the, the way that most people are doing it, um, uh, especially in the West. You have the zure where you kind of do the same thing, but in order to get a larger surface, you um, what you do is you kind of... Uh, how do I say this? You spread out the tines, um, the top layer and the bottom layer a bit so that in the end, the tipping is not a lot, but you get a wider surface area. I see. And that's that's probably like my least favorite way to do it. I've not really done it that way. Um, the third way that you can do it is what Sailor does today, which is the hook method, mm. where um, the, you, you shape the top layer the tipping of the top layer to be like a hook and then you shape the bottom layer to be kind of like a block so that it can hook on top of the bottom layer and that's much much harder and that's the way that i'm stacking my nibs right now um it's it's a challenge um for sure and i would say if you're doing um if you're doing technique number one any nib can right. do it if you're doing technique number three then you do really need a uh, that um, zoom like uh, massive tipping. Right, right, right. Otherwise, it, it just it just wouldn't work. Understood. Yeah. So so that's what I've been up to. Um, but you know, we're we're doing this in kind of a weird time now because usually uh, we meet. You know, maybe once a yeah. week or once every two weeks. I don't think I've seen you in about a month now. <laughs> right. Um. At least several weeks, because um, as everybody knows, the Olympics have started. Uh, Japan surprisingly is doing very very well in the Olympics. At first, I thought, you know, when you host the Olympics, you get to add um, and remove some um, some sports to the program, and usually the host country adds sports that they think they can win in. And this time they added like skateboarding. I was like skateboarding all all the sports you could add you you added skateboarding turns out japan is really good at skateboarding i didn't <laughs> know knew, that knew, yeah. so so japan won the the men's and women's uh gold uh and you know surprisingly uh japan won the mixed um table tennis doubles yes. uh against china that was incredible i was watching it live but um but i don't know if it's because of the olympics or um, because we have very lax um, regulations, the COVID cases are are spiraling out of control. We have more cases per capita than the United States. We have more cases per capita than India right now, and Tokyo is uh, is reaching four thousand per day. I just like checked much, the news but... today, and and uh, in fact, today for the first time, Tokyo has exceeded four thousand cases. Yeah, doesn't sound like much, but two weeks ago it was one thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and um, this is during so this is bad. during a state of emergency. Yeah, and um, you know, like I was complaining about it last time, but these Olympics people, it's totally not a bubble. You know, um, they're on Bumble, they're on Tinder. Uh, I found, um, I found a an Irish uh, athlete on tinder the other day i was i I went looking (laughs) and you know it's crazy it was crazy um but yeah the regulations i read on the news today on asahi shimbun so um suga's uh suga's strategy a Mm. quote-unquote strategy is to target um dining Mm. 
and he's only targeted Daini. And I'm just not convinced that that's the issue. <laughs> Dining, um, not sure that's the issue. Uh, it's more like you know, people gathering in crowds, yeah. like in in the metro, um, in the in the food court. I guess I guess that's I mean that's kind of dining, but you know you've got to right, buy groceries, right. so it, you know people like buying groceries, like that. That's that's an issue, right? Issue is that people are are going out and not getting vaccinated. So, so that's that's a huge problem, and so um, you know at least one event that we know of the the event that was supposed to be in May, uh, the Shitatameru Kai, yeah. um, that's probably going to be cancelled. Yeah, I haven't seen anything about that yet. Yeah, so we talked about uh, this event called Shitatameru Kai, where both Eboya and Style Art, and I think some others, I can't remember right now, were supposed to... Nagahara. Right. Um, it was meant to be end of August. Um, I haven't seen anything, but I suspect that's going to be cancelled. And also, I did find out now that there was meant to be a Tono Limbs event on August 29th. And that has just now been postponed to um, September 23rd. Yeah, so... Um... Yeah, we'll see. Uh... <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how they go. But, you know, you're not holding my breath. Um, right. Tips will probably still happen. I <laughs> uh, haven't heard anything about that, but it, it probably will happen. I, I think if the cases are below 1,000, tips will happen. They, they will find one way or another to, to do tips. Uh, it, it seems very unlikely that that will be, that will be canceled. Yeah. Um, so aside from that, in terms of you know the um, big three news, we, we got some interesting news uh, from the big three. I was surprised because, um, you know, when we talk about Pilot, yeah. uh, of course we talk about the fountain pens, but everybody knows that um, Pilot doesn't make the majority of its money on fountain pens, mm. right? Um, it's got a lot of like general stationery, and I think the general consensus is that while Pilot, we adore Pilot, right? We're Pilot fanboys on this podcast, but I think the general consensus is that Pilot is just content to you know, dole out the boring stuff, um, not really invested in innovating in the fountain pen, like, space. Right. Um, so I was really surprised when I got served an ad uh, by Pilot's Instagram post, uh, or Instagram account. Mm. And this Pilot ad was particularly interesting to me because um, it was a link to uh, a bunch of different articles and in, included in them are a plenty about fountain pens. So you have like a, so it's called kaku gaski, which mm. means uh, we love writing. And this portal site has a bunch of things, including like the history of made in Japan makie fountain yeah. pens, um, which they wrote uh, just a few days ago. They have like um, uh, uh, a part. Uh, a page where they describe how fountain pen um, nibs mm. are made, for example. Um, and the first, the very first uh, article that they had was talking about the um, pilot Hiroshizuku blues, and they, they actually made a movie. Yeah, I saw that. that. Yeah. So, I mean, this new page, it's not all about fountain pens. It's, uh, I think this is just about writing in general. Mm. I'm I'm surprised because they're actually putting a lot of marketing resources to this. I mean, the the content is not new. I've read the content mm. before, but that they're packaging it in a new yeah. way, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, Pilot has done a few websites like this before. I think I remember reading one about uh, when and uh, when they launched the Kakuno. It was a site that explains the thinking about the the Kakuno and why they launched it and how it all went and then as we have talked about before i believe they have a really good website about the custom series which goes into great detail about you know the history and the various models yep uh, so they, they do have that um but about the, this website you're talking about now there was one thing in particular i found interesting they mentioned that they are pilot is the only uh, fountain pen maker in the world that makes all parts themselves mm-hmm Including the tipping. Including the tipping, yes. 
Um, yeah, so that was pretty interesting. Another thing is, you know, going back to what you said about, you know, pilots are considered boring and so on. I, I think when people talk about pilots being boring, I think they are focusing on, like, the, the custom line. It's very easy to forget that um, they have quite a lot of models, and especially at the higher end, they have a lot of colorful options, including... Uh, Rushi and Maki and, and we talked about the silver in the last episode they have various colorful prayer models they have they keep making new um, uh, capless models in all colors of the rainbow they have all kinds of especially in Japan like store limited editions they actually have a lot of models uh, if you look at their entire uh, lineup yeah and um, I'm really happy that this has happened because you know as you say Pilot has Pilot has a strong, um, a strong collection of items. Yeah. It's just maybe their target audience is just not the same as Sailor. They're like mm. more targeted towards kind of the office people, and you know, I, I, I do think that it's it's a shame that they don't have anything on the medium range, uh, like you know, in the three to five hundred dollar range. That's a bit more exciting, mm. a bit more spicy. But, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, pilot fountain pens are not dead. That's what I want to say here. And on top of that, and this really surprised me, for the first time in my life, Jacob, I saw an advertisement for fountain pens on TV. Oh, really? And guess who did it? It's pilot. (laughs) Yeah, Pilot ran a an advertisement on on television and you know it was about general mm. writing um but you know there was the big portion dedicated to to fountain pens in this in this 30 second ad and I thought that was just really cool you know to see this guy holding his uh, custom 74 mm. up on television. I, I thought that was that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um Pilot also uh put out another announcement um in the last two weeks and this announcement is regarding one of the pens that you really liked yeah so this was about the pilot capless ls i don't have the announcement uh, in front of me but if i remember correctly they said that they have found that um there's a possibility that that it can be a problem with the knock mechanism because there might be some rust under the under the knock mechanism if i remember correctly yeah um, they said that there's uh, there are some parts that seem to be more prone to yeah. rust than they had expected, um, and yeah. And I think this is this is very interesting, and this is what really I think, in my view, sets Pilot apart from, for example, Platinum, right? So here I would say Pilot are being proactive because I have not heard anyone complaining about this. I think this is something they have. Something they they found out, or maybe there was some some pen was returned or whatever. They they realized it and they they are proactively dealing with this and they're saying that if you have this problem, here's here's how you can get that part returned. Right, this is how how yeah. you deal with a quality problem if you care deeply about quality. Yeah, and you know the let's say that the Capless LS is not like. It's not flying off the shelves, right? It's not their bestseller model, but that they still, you know, they they put in the effort yeah. to to put out this uh, this announcement. You know, they're saying if you have a problem, we're gonna handle it. We're gonna take care of it for yeah. you. Like that's really the mark of a a company that takes QA really seriously. Yes, and I think this is a very stark contrast to Platinum. How Platinum handled the the problems with Curidas, for example. So I earlier today. I went to Platinum's Japanese website. I looked looked at all the news and all the press releases, and I found no mention whatsoever about this this cracking issue and about how to go about, um, you know, getting getting your pen replaced. Meanwhile, if you go to Amazon Japan and if you search for Platinum Curedas, you found tons of angry reviews about uh, all the quality <laughs> problems with the pen. Yeah, and I think the LS announcement actually. They 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 actually extend that care to pens that were sold in 2019, mm. like all the way back. So and, and they they they're saying that you know what we've uh, we know about this and we've gone ahead and we've actually tried to fix yeah, it yeah. already. Yeah. So 
um, that was a uh, really really cool I think uh, of pilot. Um, but did you have this problem when you had the LS? No, I, I didn't. And I, I think lo- looking at pilots' press release, this only affects a very small number of, of the LS units, and I don't think I had that one. Yeah, um, so so I have the press release in front of me right now. It says, um, thank you very much for using Pilot's, uh, um, uh, Pilot products. Uh, the LS um, on the NOC side there are some cases there's a possibility um, that rust can happen which uh, and it doesn't actually say that it impacts the the writing but it says that there's a possibility that rusting may occur right Um, and they're saying that basically um, they are preparing um, a new knock unit yeah. for everybody and if you want to if you want to return it or get a new one um it will be ready in november so that's that's incredible yeah that's that's very well done pilot hats off so so that was pilot we have another uh we have another um japanese update <laughs> yeah i i just added that now yeah so um this is not directly um station related but yesterday Sailor um, announced their their earnings for the first six months of this year, and act, and it actually looks pretty good for Sailor right now. So um, they have a net profit of twenty eight million yen for the first six months, compared to a net loss of ninety one million. Then the same period last year, and the sales are up eighteen uh, percent. So it looks like they are getting back uh, on their feet. Unfortunately. This earnings announcement is called the Kesan Tanshin, which is a very brief like, summary report. It doesn't have these juicy details about, you know, breakdown by markets and, you know, their own explanations. That comes later. We will have to dig into that when it arrives. Um, but for now, it looks like Sailor is doing well and they are projecting a full year um, profit of 56 million yen. So some, it's, it, Sailor is back on its feet. Yeah, which means um, Sailor and Plus, uh, the acquisition, it could be coming very soon. Yeah, actually, we are now uh, we have not we are now within the so-called conversion period. So technically, Plus can convert whenever they want. Now that that initial period has passed, yeah. uh, they might not because, as we described uh, when we covered that news initially. Plus has set up a number of conditions about profitability for a whole year. Those conditions are not legally binding, so Plus can choose to convert if they want. But um, yeah, they, they might they might wait and see. But they could if they want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, yes, yes, um, very, very, very briefly. While we are on on this very narrow topic of stationary related financial news, another company that is doing well now is uh, Tomoegawa. So. One week ago, they they announced um, a new um, a revised earnings forecast for for the next six months, and they 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 revised it up quite dramatically, like five times, I think, and they um, and the stock just jumped, uh, skyrocketed for that reason. So apparently, one one of the things Tomogawa does is um, they make this optical film that is used for displays including smartphones mm-hmm. and apparently they got lots and lots of orders for this optical film and that is what is uh, driving their profits right now now unfortunately it doesn't say anything about the part we're interested in you know the, the paper and the future of Tomer river i haven't seen any official word about that but at least the company as a whole is uh, doing pretty well now yeah that's always like really positive news i think um but it also shows that their decision to pivot away from uh, Tomoe River paper, yeah. right? That that might have been a good step for them because that freed up resources to focus on uh, on other parts of their business. Yeah, and I think uh, I mean I don't have obviously I don't have any inside information whatsoever. But I think it's at least within the realm of possibility that another Japanese papermaker could potentially buy that entire business. Because one thing I've recently come to realize is that Tomogawa is actually quite small for a Japanese papermaker. So for example, we recently talked about a Cosmo Air Light and B7 Tranex, right? And we said that 
Both of those papers are made by a company called Nippon Paper, Nippon Paper Group. Turns out that Nippon Paper Group has a market cap 15 times Tomoegawa. So there are, <laughs> they are a lot bigger. And in fact, Nippon Paper is not the biggest one. There's another one called Oje Paper of OK Fool's fame. Oje Paper it has twice the market cap of Nippon Paper and has like almost 30,000 employees. So yep. Tomogawa is like a tiny player in this game. Like I could definitely see them, some a bigger player buying a part of their business. Yeah, and I think when we broke the news, a lot of people were saying, oh, well, what's Hobonichi going to mm. do? And Hobonichi has actually confirmed uh, on their website saying that for the 2020 uh 2022 diaries mm. um that's still going to be um that's still going to be uh Tomoe River um but for the years beyond they they don't know yet uh i think um very interestingly i think what they said was that they had not used the paper of the new machine right. so that's does that mean they've not used the new Tomoe River yeah, I saw that too. I found that interesting. I, I, I draw two conclusions, or two possible conclusions. First of all, it tells you something about how far in advance they, 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 they order paper. The other one is they might have known things before the general public and maybe even investors and they might have made decisions based on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and um, just right before we go back into our, you know, juicy mm. topic of the day, uh, I, I almost forgot, but um, I saw on I think Goulet Pens that they are releasing a Justice ninety five in rhodium trim, uh, and this does not exist in in Japan as far as I know. Yeah, I, I, you you mentioned that. I think it was we we you sent a line message or whatever it was. Yeah, I I can't yeah. see that anywhere on on in Pilot Pilot Japan's website. So maybe this is U.S. exclusive. I'm not sure. It does say coming in August, so maybe we just don't know it's about possible. it. It's possible. It's possible. I'm not sure how popular it is in Japan. I don't see it much in Japan, but I got the impression that it's quite popular in like Hong Kong and Taiwan. I do like the justice. <laughs> um, I think it's cool because for writing kanji, mm. um, it's just very good to have like um, that extra flexibility, and then you can adjust if you need to take like quick notes or something like mm. that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but you know, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, I don't think I'll be getting one um, because, you know, we've talked about it. I don't really use cartridge converter pens, mm. uh, but it's really, I, I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if this was a U.S. market only thing because I feel like the rhodium, the fanatics of rhodium trim, yeah. like I don't really hear about that in, in right. Japan, to be honest. Um, whereas people in the U.S. seem to really, really, uh, there's a subsection of the community that really wants silver trims on everything. For sure, yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> yeah, so um, so there's that. All right, um, we've actually talked about this particular piece of news before, but more information has come out uh, since then. So definitely want to um, circle back on this, but... Um, we also received a listener question that ties into this uh, mm. this next topic quite nicely. So I'm going to read out the question. I'm not going to read out the name. Um, I'm going to read out the question. Um, hey, I love the podcast and just listened to the latest episode. As far as the Moonman versus Kaveko issue, I'm wondering if it isn't kind of fair game for Kaveko to take this copyright route. If a Chinese company can make a new pen as an exact copy of another company's pen and is immune to any kind of copyright lawsuit, then it does create an imbalance. For example, maybe Kaveco could make a cheaper copy of Mont Blanc pens as well, but if they did that, they surely would be sued and would have to pay for it. It is kind of a dirty move, but maybe that's just how the world is going these days when it comes to international competition. Barring coming up with new laws that all companies in all countries promise to follow, I'm wondering how you think the logical business route for all of these big companies will follow 
given the proliferation of good pens like these from cheaper manufacturers mm. in China. Thanks. You have any thoughts on that? Shall we just shall we first cover the the new uh, that press release or that announcement from sure. Kaweco that you found on Reddit? Sure, sure. Um, I'm going to just grab. So I, I Kaweco... searched for that myself. I, I couldn't find it on Kaweco's website. I, I wasn't able to verify that that was indeed an official announcement, but it looked kind of official from the the Reddit. Post. Yeah, it, it it did look kind of official. It seemed like it was mailed by by somebody. Mm. Um, and I mean, it, it does have Kaweco's uh, CEO mm. signature and the, the stamp, um, you know, yeah. and everything. So it does seem, uh, does seem pretty, pretty legit. I'm going to read out the announcement. It's going to be kind of a boring, uh, boring 60 seconds. So if you've already read it, um, you know, maybe listen to me read it again. <laughs> All right. So it says, official statement. Dear friends and fans of writing instruments, fountain pens in special. Most of you know the eventful history of the brand Kaweco. We're not going to tell it now, don't worry. But the brand has been around since 1883. In 1980, the company as well as the brand Kaweco disappeared. In 1994, H&M, I can't say this, uh, Gutberlet? I, I, sure. I can't say this word. <laughs> Um, uh, GmbH revived the brand. Not even 10% of the specialist dealers still knew the brand Kaweco. So, both nationally and internationally unknown. Only a few collectors of old writing instruments knew what Kaweco was. I don't know why I said that uh, like I did. Today, 2021, 27 years later, the brand is back. That long period alone is a clear indication of the hard work and the long time and large amounts of investments. We are very proud of that and we want to protect what we've achieved. We currently export to more than 60 countries. Everybody who knows the Kaweco and the Gutberlet team knows that we also support other manufacturers and brands. We work closely with many and help newcomers with technical and practical solutions. No matter where these companies are based, it therefore has us very annoyed that the brands Wingsung, Delike, and Moonman have massively disrupted the sale of our products with several design copies. We're not talking about a few hundreds, but about several thousand pieces per country and year. We have been trying to contact these companies for several years by finding out the exact address of the company or contacting the responsible persons. We have tried this through trade fairs, emails by Chinese friends, Chinese partners, and patent lawyers without success. Based on an example of Moonman, or based on example with Moonman, you can see our efforts. Our, after our registration of the Moonman trademark and the first cancellations in Germany, a man called in and asked why we are doing this. We have requested him to change the design of his T1 fountain pen and to stop selling delight product that harm the design of our sport, Lilliput, and Supra three-parts technique, or at least also change their designs. He could get his brands back over time against the refund of fees in case no more Kaweco clones can be found on the market. The man claimed only to do the distribution for Delike, and that Moonman only takes tiny ideas from other companies. We then proposed a contract. As a result, our patent attorney drew up a simple contract and a Chinese partner agency translated it. Delivery slash notification of that agreement was not possible. When contacting by phone all findable Moonmen related phone numbers on the internet, the line was interrupted again and again. It is clear to us now that this was a delaying tactic because now they are switching to the brand Mahjong, which is not the brand of we want to emphasize that this is not our intention to harm anyone. We're always happy about the success of other brands, but please not at our expense or with our designs. We're always willing to talk if others are honest. Now, everyone can make his own judgments. If you have any kind of question, we are always happy to answer. Enjoy handwriting and please stay safe. Mr. Michael Gutberle, um, CEO, Kaweco, Germany, H&M Gutberle, 
Good Burlet GmbH. All right, that that was a lot. Um, so to me, man, my mouth is dry. So please talk. Yeah, that sounds more like a rambling Tumblr post than an official press release from a company. I the choice of words was very strange. Like I wouldn't expect them to say annoyed in an official press release. Uh, yeah, it, the whole press release is very very weird. Um, I'm conflicted by this whole thing. I, I can I can understand and sense their frustration, but when they mentioned the T1, that's when I lost all my, my sympathy for, for Kaweco. So we, we covered this news like a few episodes back, right? And we talked about how this how it was Wingsung and Delike and Moonman. And you can kind of see what we're getting at with Wingsung because there's like three there's one model called like three thousand, I don't know, six or whatever it is that looks a lot like a Kaweco sport. There's the D-like Alpha, which is basically a... a yeah, that's a Kaweco It's sport, a bigger right? Kaweco squad with some important uh, modifications, though. But then we couldn't understand what it was, what, what Moonman was about. Maybe they knew something we did not know about, you know, about how these complex are linked. We, we were a bit confused about that. But now we understand what it's about. Do they think that the Moonman T1 is is too close to Kaweco sport? And that's, or maybe Perkeo, I'm not sure... But that's when I lost all my sympathies for Kaweco because to me, if you say that the Moonman T1 is the Kaweco clone, I, that's borderline delusional to me. That that I can't really see. And and on top of that, if you go back to Kaweco's history, you can see that the, the um, Kaweco sport has been around since I think 1935. It's been around for like eight to six years. So eight to six years after your pen was originally announced. You're basically complaining that a pen maker makes another faceted pen. That's ridiculous. Yeah, which, I mean, you know, I think Wall Eversharp uh, was the one to start this Art Deco design of faceted Mm. pens. Um, I might be wrong, but I'm I'm sure Kaweco was not the first to to do faceted pens. I think there is a, uh, when it comes to this, right, I think there's a certain, um, we have to consider the glance value, right? When you look at a Moonman T1, do you go, oh, that's a Kaweco, right? Like, you know, come on, that's just not realistic. Right. The, I think the number of facets are different, um, the, the size is different, um, it's not even the same filling mechanism. Right. Yeah, I mean, if that's your benchmark, you you might as well say that the Pilot's Kakuno is a clone. You might say that Fine Writing International's Bronze Age is, is a Kaweco clone, right? Yeah. And I'm going to read out one of the, the comments, uh, which is a guy who claims to be a lawyer. But he does have the necessary link, so I'm inclined mm. to believe it. He says... Rather than let this get buried in a thread, I want to emphasize it here. Kaweco has no intellectual property rights to the shape of Kaweco spurts. We can get into the nitty-gritty of international trade law, trademark law, or you can take the EU's IPO reasoning when they rejected Kaweco's application to protect the sports design. That, so, yeah. yeah, it turns out they don't even have um, any kind of claim to the sports design. We translated from the decision rejecting Kaweco's appeal. Um, of the application's rejection, it says, uh, this is translated from the, from the the decision, none of the features of the form applied for lead to consumers perceiving it as a fountain pen, ballpoint pen, rollerball, or any, uh, sorry, or other writing implement that deviates significantly from the norm or customary in the industry. Mm. In other words, it's a generic shape. Um, the appeal... Uh, okay, the the EU IPO found that every design element had either a decorative or a functional purpose, and that none of it was sufficiently distinctive to serve as a basis for trademark protection. As support, it cited a number of other faceted pens in the market, including Montblanc's, Rotrings, and Faber-Castells. The appeal decision emphasized the fact that the registered item combined several purely decorative or functional elements of other commercially available pens, large diameter, long angular cap without clip, 
does not mean that the overall shape is perceived as distinctive. Rather, it is a minor variant of common shapes, the components of which all have a purely functional or decorative meaning. Overall, the registered design does not show any special features with that regard to the relevant category of goods, fountain pens, ballpoint pens, rollerball pens, and other writing implements with caps. Mm. Um, but, you know, not only is the Moonman T1, like, just wildly different, mm. and the, the t- even the technology is right. different, right? Um, they don't even have... They can't even claim internet intellectual mm. property rights to that shape. Yeah, that, that's definitely a good point. Where I'm a little bit more conflicted <clears throat> is with a D-like alpha. So at a distance, you would definitely say that a D-like alpha looks like a Kabuko Sport. But if you look closer, it's actually, in my view, a superior pen for three reasons. The first reason is that unlike the Carico Sport, the D-Like Alpha is just long enough to fit a proper usable converter. And that's, I think that's a very important advantage over yep. the Carico Sport. The second advantage of the D-Like Alpha is the nib. So you just need to go to Google and search for like Carico Sport, hard start Carico Sport, like skipping. You're going to find a lot of people reporting problems. I think that might be more with maybe more of a thing in the past now with the box nibs whatever but but as a pen maker it's ultimately your responsibility that, that the nibs perform and Kaweka has, has had quality problems whereas D likes steel nibs especially the mini food is like chef's kiss it's some of the best steel nibs around in my view so it's definitely a, a better writing experience the D like alpha and third um the D-like Alpha comes in all kinds of colorful uh, acrylics and nice cellulose-like acetate resin. So it, it, it's, a, it's a more colorful pen. Uh, you can write longer because you can use a proper converter and, it, and, and the nib is better. So as a consumer, as a consumer, I'm glad that the D-like Alpha exists on the market because in my view, it's a superior pen. I, I don't care that it's cheaper. I care about that it's a superior pen. Uh, at the same time, I can see why it looks quite similar, and I kind of wish they would have deviated a little bit more from the Carica Sport design. Yeah, but I do have to say, right? I mean, I think uh, I think one of the last advantages which did not talk about is cost. Mm. It's a lot cheaper to buy a D-like pen than. Equivalent mm. Caveco pen, right? Um, so I want to point out here that being able to manufacture something at a cheaper cost—that's innovation, yeah. right? Like, like manufacturing processes—that's that's innovation. It's not just about the shape of the product. You know, being able to put it out uh, to the market at, at a price that is reasonable. That's that's really that's important. I mean, you know, I, I'm gonna take an example, right? Laptop computers. Mm. Laptop computers been around forever, but 30 years ago, or tw- sorry, 20 years ago, the first laptop computers came about. They were bricks, right? right? And now a bunch of different uh, different companies making laptop mm. computers, and they all kind of look the same. But you wouldn't be able to to claim, oh, you know. X maker copy, you know, IBM or whatever for making for making the laptop. That, that's ridiculous. Mm. Another another um, another example. Wood case pencils, like you literally would not be able to to make wood case pencils because they're all just generically the same shape. But you know the lead that you you mm. use in it, the kind of wood that you use, the paint that you use, right? That all counts, right? That all counts for design. Yeah. So. The things that you talked about, being able to fit a converter, that's massive. Mm. That that's huge, right? Or um, the Moonman that apparently looks like the uh, the Franklin Kristoff that has a roll stop. Yeah, right. I mean, yes, we can say that it does take those design cues, mm. but I don't think it's fair to say, well, these people haven't innovated uh, on these products at all. They're just like coming out with like part for part 
counterfeits. Yeah, and I think the, your point about cost is a very relevant one. So if you if you make some part by hand because it adds value, like for example, maybe you have this beautiful Urushi design with like inlaid Radon pieces, or maybe you you manually check all the nibs that, that they perform correctly, or you maybe even do a nib grind, and maybe you write a signature on it or something like that. If you add value to it that way, um, I'm all for it, but if you say I, we do we do these things by hand because we always done it by by hand, and then you complain that someone can do it more cheaply because they invested in automation, and you don't have my sympathy anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like um, the Nippon Art mm. series that Pilot has, right? I think that's quite a good um, example. The Nippon Art is screen printed mm. pen. Right, it's part of their like quote unquote Urushi lineup, but it's screen printed right. pen. You can get it for about three hundred dollars. The the handmade Urushi stuff, right? That's like you know thousands of dollars. And then there's all sorts of things in between. Yeah. But you can dif- differentiate in like the stuff that actually takes a long time. We're gonna we're gonna price that at uh, at a very high price because we know that we've got the best artisans, yeah. and you can't compete with us on on the artistry of it, right? You know what you're selling. So in terms of Kaweco, they have the Kaweco art sport, right? They have some beautiful acrylics that they mm. use and they are they actually already do price it at quite a high mm. price. But you know, then you can say, okay, we have these acrylics that, that we've made, um, and that's why we're pricing it at this 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 uh, bracket. That makes sense to me. Whereas, you know, what Kaveco is actually doing is they're doing the same thing, printing a different logo on it, saying it's a collaboration, and being like, okay, we're going to ch- charge like $1,500 more. Or the ridiculous sterling silver pen that they came out with, which cost like $1,000, know, mm. right? That's not innovation. Mm. That's I think that's like misunderstanding where your position is in the market. And so, you know... We we've been on this topic for for a long time. I remember when we first talked about the T one. We we did um, we did talk about how some people were saying that it was a mashup between the Kaveco Sport and Twisby mm-hmm. Echo or something, which again to me doesn't really make sense. Um, but I think in this case we're both in agreement. Kaveco is kind of overstepping their yeah, boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, and, so. and also, so just to go back to to the question, um, Kaweco is not trying to enforce copyright here. They are they are registering the competitors' names as trademarks, which is a whole different thing. Yeah, because um, because they don't have a right. copyright to yeah. the design. <laughs> so um, so. Yeah, the the logical business route for all of these big companies um, to follow, in my opinion, is make better products. You know, you got to keep making strong uh, products that 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 really push push the boundaries. Like, if you look at, for example, Sailor, right? They're pushing the boundaries in terms of like color and mm. design they're not innovating on shape but they're definitely innovating on like different combinations of designs um and that that in a way is innovation if you look at for example um pilot they've actually cut costs several mm. times um on the iroshizuku inks i think they're like half the price that they yeah. were when they first came out um and you know economy of scale that that's a that's a, that's an innovation. In, innovate on distribution channels, yeah. but you know don't stop because you found something good and it worked for a few years. You know if if somebody else can do what you're doing at half the price, then you probably got to go back to your processes and weed out those uh, those inefficiencies. I think that's the way to go. And especially if you're a big company, then you have those resources. Yeah, and uh, the final thing I will say is that the Moonman T1 is the pen I wish Kaweco had made instead of that Perkyo. Yeah, if they made the Kaweco T1, you know, I think we would be buying yes, that. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
All right, so that took a lot longer than uh, <laughs> than we expected. <laughs> so we were gonna do like a few questions, but it doesn't seem like we'll have too much time to uh, do too many questions. So let's just do like maybe two. Sure. All right. So Eric from Instagram asks, "What is your stationary everyday carry, and how do you carry it? Notebooks, planners, pens, pen case in a bag or in your pockets? What can you not leave the house without?" <laughs> So when you talk about carry, you still, there's an assumption that you are like, going somewhere, right? Um, for the last few weeks, I have, haven't really left my house much. So there's not much need for an everyday carry. Um, <laughs> I have pens at home, but I don't, I don't walk around much. But as for what I'm using most of the time, I have this Toyoka what's it, five pen or six pen tray on my desk. And that's usually where where my inked up pens live. And I usually have like two or three inked up pens, typically like one, one like fine-ish nib, could be like a mini nag or a Waverly or something like that with a darker ink. And then usually one broader pen could be like a BB or course or Zoom or Fat Nag or whatever with a lighter ink. That's usually my, my, my standard uh, setup. When I do leave the house, um, the only thing I, I want to make sure is that I bring at least one pen. I have on a few occasions uh, left and forgot my pens and I had to buy some emergency preppies on my way to work. Um, that has happened. In terms of like paper and planners, um, I'm really, I've been very much into these like system techo, like refillable, like rim binder style planners. The most recent one I bought was one from Ashford. I talked previously about how Ashford doesn't have very good paper, but they do have some decent planners. And I got one recently in this cryptic format called HB times WA5. Have you heard about HB times WA5? I have not. What is so it? So HB times WA5 means the same height, H, as Bible size and same width as A5. <laughs> Which is a very roundabout way of saying it. it's All basically right. like a square-shaped planner. Uh, but you can use just a Bible-sized refills if you want. Uh, you can buy from Ashford and from other other planner makers these uh, perfect-sized refills. What I'm doing is that I'm just buying a, a4 loosely sheet paper and I'm cutting my own refills. So I have my Ashford planner full with a B7 Tranex right now. So that that's my current setup. Um, as for me, I have a kimono pen uh, case that I, I quite like. It's a four pen case, so I take four of the day, usually with um, uh, a stack nib, a flex nib, uh, a an italic nib, um, and then whatever else is the flavor of the day. So that covers me quite a lot. And then um, for notebook, I have a variety of notebooks. I have some plotters, so just really whatever I can reach um, and I, I can either plop that preferably something that's smaller than an, a, uh, than an A5 that way I can put it in any bag that I have and uh, yeah um, I did in the past carry my fountain pen my Mont Blanc in my uh, front pocket my front um, jeans pockets which uh, you know some people might be terrified at the sound of that, but um, I uh, that worked pretty well for me for about like five to six years. So I think you know just whatever works. Um, my fear is not that I haven't brought a pen because if I didn't bring a pen, I'll just use a ballpoint pen. Whatever, like it's one day I can I can survive. My fear is if I didn't bring the right paper and I have my. And if I have the right pen, don't have the right paper, then I just like I don't even want to write with my pen because it's gonna like feather everywhere and it's a bad writing experience. So um, so I have on occasion gone out to buy emergency uh, paper pads. I see, I see. With different priorities. <laughs> different priorities. All right. Um. Last question. Um. Which is kind of similar to what we, what we discussed uh, before. Uh, do you think we are now at quote unquote peak fountain pen with the reiteration of the same things in different shades of the same color being churned out on a near monthly basis? Asks Malcolm from uh, Fountain Pen Network. 
Do you want to go first on this one? Mm, sure. Uh, I think we reached peak fountain pen about probably like six, seventy years ago, um, where you know people started making pens. There's, there really is only so many ways that you can make a pen, right? I mean, there are basic necessities that you have to fulfill. You have to fulfill that there needs to be um, a nib. You have to fulfill that it has to take ink somehow, and usually uh, that results in some kind of a cylindrical uh, shape, or it can have like facets, or it can be you know square, or whatever. But some some longish um, cylindrical shape. Mm. And in my opinion, everything else is just a it's just a variation of that. Whether you have flap tops, whether you have tapers, uh, whether you have facets, you know, it's just all the variation of a very simple basic shape and um so i think we've definitely reached uh peak found the pen there uh in terms of where things are innovating i think is the storytelling and here's where i think we have not reached peak fountain pen is how well companies can tell the story of why they're making this product and um therefore what is the story what is the emotion that it evokes in its customers so I think Boongabox are really, really good at this, right? Uh, yeah. Give an example with their recent Alice pen with a white and kind of pale blue, uh, pale blue um, finials. I think the the Alice pen. It's a white and pale blue pen. We've seen this pen before, but the way that Boongabox sold it is that, you know, it's uh, evocative of. Um, Alice's Alice's dress from Alice in Wonderland it's the color scheme of her dress and um and that she has rod in this time in the version 2 they have like the kaleidoscope which I guess is kind of like you know moving into like a different world uh which Alice in Wonderland happens to be set in and that kind of of storytelling is really important when I when it comes Mm. to selling these you know luxury items uh, same as the sterling silver, the silver and Pikachu, mm. right? Like that—that's a—that's another story that they told. And so I think, you know, as long as we are humans and we value art, we'll always value some kind of storytelling. And so in that way, I don't think we are at peak fountain pen. Mm. Yeah, I think the point—I didn't think about that—but your point about storytelling is 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 a good one, and I think that's really what sets you know the exciting um, pro gear limited editions from the not so exciting ones, right? You, you you can take your your previous green pen and your previous purple pen and you mix them together and say Let, let's call this you know some new name and without any backstory and it's kind of boring, or you could do like what um, Hachimondia. Uh, Dustin called uh, make a new pen called Ginzan Snow and you know Hachimonja is based in Yamagata and for those who don't know there's this beautiful onsen resort in Yamagata called Ginzan Onsen it's look at, like looks like a scene from like a Hayao Miyazaki a movie it, it's, it's like Sento Chihiro almost it's absolutely beautiful and I think they managed to, to, to capture some of that uh, in the pen so that, that's really how, how you do it well the translator's note, um, Hayao Miyazaki uh, is from Ghibli and Sento Chihiro is spirited away. <laughs> yes, sorry. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, but but other than that, I still think we see, I mean, if you look at some of the trends right now in the West, I think one of the trends is that you have these smaller pen makers that they're pouring their own acrylics and and then you have... In China in particular, you have now, as we talked about uh, in this episode earlier, about this trend about new new nibs and also new filling systems. Uh, I think that's still going to go on for a while. I think there are a lot of interesting now like, dead filling systems that, that, that could revive. Like we, 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 I think we talked about this uh, Hoshiawase and other filling systems. I'm very excited to see yep. more of that in the future. One more thing I would say is kind of sort of tangentially related but we have talked a lot about how glass pens for the last like one or two years have been have just taken off in japan i mean glass pens have already been around i mean it's been around for forever right but it's, at some point people went from 
just needing one glass pen for their ink testing to you know buying all the hussy pens in all the colors of the rainbow and you know waiting hours outside the Staya to buy the latest tooth pen and, and, and then just fighting over a small amount of pens in stock at some uh, some online store I, it, it, it's absolute glass pen frenzy and I think I think we might see more of that in the west I think some of the I think we might see mm-hmm. mo- more people buying glass pens in the future. Yep, definitely agree. And I've been getting questions on Instagram about glass pens as well. So I definitely think that's a that's a trend that's going to yeah. continue. All right, um, Mark. I think that that's it. Uh, that's it for today. Yeah. Then um, this was a more action-packed episode than I had expected it to be. <laughs> well, we'll see if we get any one-star reviews. <laughs> <laughs> all right so um yeah i'll see you around then um all right and thank you everybody for listening um i've noticed that we've gotten a slowdown on reviews so if you haven't reviewed us on our podcast definitely please do give us a review We're going to read out reviews uh every single episode um right now again we don't have a way to monetize this so your review is really really important to us it helps us spread the word and um you know just spread the knowledge uh, i think this is what all the this um this podcast is about can i can i just add add one more thing to that so we have recently especially with the last episode but i think more than more than one episode we have a problem with for apple podcasts in particular it's been a delay it's like several days before it shows up on apple podcasts um if you really want to listen to the episode when it comes out, when you see, you know, the Instagram stories and you can't wait, go to TokyoInklings.com and, and play there. Or or upgrade or or sideways or upgrade from Apple Podcast to, I don't know, Overcast or some other podcast player. Yeah, that's right. Um, and we are working on it. I did um, have a chat with uh, Apple and they say they fixed it. So we'll, we're going to see um, in a few hours. Yep. All right. So with that, um, this has been uh, this has been great. My name is CY. Uh, you can find me on my website at TokyoStationPens.com, on Instagram at TokyoStationPens, and on Twitter at TokyoStationMNH. And my name is Jacob, and I'm Fudafan on Instagram and Twitter, and I have a blog at Fudafan.com. Bye. Bye.